0: If you had to describe the most recent measles outbreak in Washington and Oregon in, like, one sentence, what would you say?
1: I would say this is a self-inflicted wound caused by carelessness and a deliberate attempt to throw children under the bus for political gain and expediency. You weren't expecting that answer, were you? (laughs) Uh,
0: (laughs) No, I was, actually. I've looked at your Twitter feed, friend. (laughs) This is Dr. Peter Hotez. He's an infectious disease expert. For the last month, he has been watching as officials in Clark County, Washington, try to contain an outbreak of measles that spread as far as Hawaii. He's got strong opinions about how this outbreak happened and who's responsible for it. I mean, it seems like every day we're getting more cases.
1: What is that? Well, you have to remember, measles is one of the most contagious childhood infections
0: known. The measles virus can live on surfaces and in the air for up to two hours after an infected person coughs or sneezes. That means that each sick person will transmit the disease to up to 18 others. But Peter says this outbreak is about something else. It's about what happens when life-saving vaccines become optional. Nearly a quarter of Clark County's kindergartners aren't up to date on their shots.
1: You've got pockets now more in the western states than in the eastern half, so Pacific Northwest, American Southwest. We have counties and districts where 20, 30, 40% of kids are not getting their vaccines. And that's a problem, because that's when you get these breakthrough epidemics of measles and pertussis. And so we we're basically have, are in the process of unraveling all of our public health gains over the last couple of decades.
0: Talking to Dr. Hotez, you can practically hear the bow tie he's wearing. He sounds like the physician he is, marshaling evidence, calmly explaining things. But when he talks about this outbreak, something changes. He's frustrated. Earlier this week, he got on Twitter and called out the director of the CDC and the Surgeon General for not doing more to fix vaccination loopholes.
1: Yeah, and I tried to do it in in as respectful a way as as possible. Look, I recognize these guys have a tough job to do. It's not easy being the Surgeon General. It's not easy being CDC director. This is a pervasive pattern now that's been going on through several administrations. We've not had really good pro-vaccine advocacy coming out of the federal agencies, we've not had it from the CDC, we've not had it from the Office of the Surgeon General, we've not had it from the FDA, uh, certainly not having it from the White House. And it, it's nothing against the Trump administration. This is actually true in the Obama administration, true in the Bush administration before that. And this has been the pattern that we've had silence. You sound exhausted by all of this. Well, it's uh, I don't know that I'm I'm exhausted. I I'm a little exasperated because as I mentioned, the defensive vaccine does fall to a handful of academics and and as an academic, I can only do so much.
0: Yeah, do you want to be this guy?
1: No, it's not like I don't have a day job. Right? I've got a, I'm a vaccine scientist. Uh, I write grants and papers and so I I feel I'm doing it ...purely out of what I think of is social obligation and imperative to protect children in the United States and Europe. In the year 2000, we declared that the United States had eliminated measles. And, and now it's — I don't think we can say that anymore. It's back.
0: I'm Mary Harris. You're listening to What Next? Today, measles is back. Dr. Peter Hotez is going to tell us how, over the last two decades, The United States has undone enormous progress against this preventable disease. And he's going to explain how he became this guy, the guy who's made it his part-time job to get more parents to vaccinate their kids. Stay with us. This episode is brought to you by Discover. Before there was a vaccine for the measles, it was one of those infections just about everyone got. It was seasonal, and every year millions of people got sick, hundreds died. This was back in the 1950s. Now, many parents who decide not to vaccinate their kids may not have seen the disease up close. So I asked Dr. Hotez to tell me what an infected kid looks like.
1: I'll never forget doing pediatric rounds in Hospital Roosevelt, which is the big public hospital in Guatemala City and watching children unable to breathe from measles, pneumonia, seeing kids with permanent neurologic injury from measles, encephalitis. That to me was a real wake-up call. And I remember when I I saw those kids in, in Guatemala, I was thinking, well, what an injustice. How can it be that I could get to Guatemala City from where I was in the U.S. faster than I could to many parts of the U.S. right in our own backyard were allowing children to suffer and even die from measles. Uh, This is an outrage. And that's when I decided to devote my life to developing vaccines for these diseases.
0: The idea that the measles vaccine could hurt you, it got its start in the late 90s. A study came out that allegedly showed a link between the shot and autism.
1: So we're we're now, you know, we're now in our uh, second decade, uh, entering our third decade of the modern anti-vaccine movement. So it began with a fraudulent paper in 1998 that was published in The Lancet, but it's now grown so much larger and so much bigger. So we're facing an anti-vaccine lobby that has almost 500 misinformation websites by some accounts all amplified on Facebook sites and other forms of social media. They've now organized into political action committees that are raising money for candidates to run on the anti-vaccine platforms. So this has become really an anti-vaccine juggernaut. And in certain states, this has had more of an effect than others. And certainly in the Pacific Northwest, this anti-vaccine initiative has has had a huge impact on the Pacific Northwest, but also in the state of Texas.
0: Right. And you're in Texas. So you're watching this outbreak all the way across the country in like Oregon and Washington. Why does it alarm you?
1: Well, one of the reasons that I started speaking out against the anti-vaccine movement was actually when I moved to Texas. So each year that I was in Texas, since I moved in 2011, we started to see this steady increase in the number of kids whose parents were not getting them vaccinated to the point now where we have at least 60,000 kids uh, not getting their vaccines in Texas. And those are the ones we know about. We have no idea about the more than 300,000 homeschooled kids in Texas, So it's quite likely we have over 100,000 kids in Texas not getting their vaccines.
0: Yeah, you plotted out this graph where you could see year over year more and more kids avoiding their vaccines.
1: Right. So Texas has become one of the epicenters of the anti-vaccine movement, and nobody was saying anything. So I said, "This." Is, I cried foul. I said, guys, this is a disaster. I know what's coming. We're going to start seeing measles and other breakthrough childhood infections and started... Uh, having discussions with state legislators in Texas. But in the course of that, that's when I saw that something equally ominous was happening in the Pacific Northwest and realized that we've got a serious situation on our hands.
0: Like, I mean, are you looking at Oregon and Washington and saying this could be my hospital?
1: Well, certainly I, I think it's just a matter of time before here in Texas, as bad as things are in Washington Oregon... I think the big one could really come in the state of Texas, and I've been basically talking about this to anyone I can and to try to prevent it from happening.
0: You said you really got interested in what was happening with measles when you moved to Texas, and you began seeing that kids just weren't getting vaccinated. But then you also have this other really interesting perspective on what's going on here, because you have a daughter with autism.
1: Well, when I first saw the paper in The Lancet, Rachel was about 5 or 6 years old and had already had the diagnosis of pervasive developmental disorder which is today what we call autism and to me it it never really passed the laugh test the minute i saw the paper and and i say that because you know watching rachel and looking at her strengths and her deficits it was clear that her autism and more not just her autism but more her intellectual disabilities were global that this almost certainly had to involve restructuring and rewiring of the neurological architecture of the brain. And there was no conceivable mechanism, in my mind, by which a vaccine could do that. This had to be something that's occurring that really begins and progresses in early fetal development. In fact.
0: But as a parent, I mean, I guess I wonder did you ever see it and think oh, maybe there's an answer.
1: No, well, I, I didn't see it. It, uh, it was an interesting discussion with my wife because she doesn't have medical or scientific training. So the kind of discussion was, uh, Peter, don't. what do you think about this paper? Aren't you concerned? And, and I would then tell Anne, my wife, I'd say, no, and here's why. And just like the reasons we're talking about, this has to begin in fetal development. This could not possibly be caused by a vaccine. It makes absolutely no, there's no plausibility here. And indeed now we've learned we've now I've identified at least 99 autism genes all involved in early prenatal development and early fetal development. Well I'm sort of curious like
0: how long did it take you to convince Anne?
1: Um not you know once once you sit down uh, with someone and are willing to take the time and explain it they they pick it up pretty quickly and that's actually the experience I've had with most vaccine hesitant parents. You know there are some deeply dug in and believe all the phony conspiracy theories and everything else, and it's very tough to reach them. But the majority of parents, you can have a discussion and and they can they can get it. The problem is they're not hearing that message because they're inundated with the five hundred anti vaxxer websites and the the social media barrage and the political action committees and the phony books. So that's why it's so important to really be out there advocating for vaccines and explaining why they don't cause autism or all the other things the anti-vaxxers allege, because you can make a big difference.
0: How old is your daughter now?
1: She's not 26, so she's an adult.
0: Yeah. I mean, do you, do you talk to her about the autism vaccine research? Oh,
1: we, we do. And uh, she actually is kind of into it. She feels like she's making a contribution to science by also being out there with me. So it's it's kind of a It's kind of a partnership.
0: So what does Peter Hotez, autism dad, infectious disease expert, what does he think we should do now? How do we close the legal loopholes that allow kids to go unvaccinated?
1: Well, well, the solution is remarkably simple, actually. Um, We could stop this all tomorrow uh, very easily. And so the number one thing that has to happen is at the state the state level, the state policy level, there are 18 states that allow non-medical exemptions for reasons of personal or philosophical belief. There's, those are the states that we identified where there's a steep rise in, in vaccine exemptions. We have to close that, and we've done it before. So it was done in California. So California, 2014, 2015, had a devastating measles epidemic. California legislature stood up and said, you know, guys, no mas, we're not going to do this anymore. We're done. And they closed that exemption.
0: I mean, I wonder, though, I mean, we live in a country where folks tend to be a little suspicious of their government. And you're maybe at the epicenter of that in Texas. And I wonder how you kind of force people to make these changes without activating this response, this backlash?
1: Well, well, the answer is, we've already done it, right? If you're a parent in Texas, it's not an option for you, whether you want to put your kid in a car seat or a safety belt. That's the law. And uh, and if you violate the law, you're subject to penalties. Or if you're a parent, and you own a firearm, which a lot of parents do in Texas, by law, if you have children in the home, you have to keep that firearm locked. That's that's the law, and, and this is the same thing. If you want your kid to attend public school and, and be part of society, you have to have your child vaccinated. Children have a fundamental human right to be protected against deadly infectious diseases. It's a right of childhood, and parents cannot deny that right of childhood just because they've read some piece of garbage on the Internet.
0: All right. All right. Peter Hotez, thank you so much for joining me.
1: Oh, thanks so much for giving attention to this issue.
0: That's the show. What Next is hosted by me, Mary Harris. Our supervising producer is Mary Wilson. Our senior producer is Jason DeLeon, and our assistant producer is Anna Martin. Shout out to all of our new listeners from Stitcher. You guys picked up What Next as a featured show this week, and it is so nice having you guys around the place follow me on Twitter. I'm at Mary's Desk. Sometimes I tweet out bonus content from the show. Sometimes I just make bad jokes. Have a great weekend. I'll talk to you next week.